So uh, we are glad to have you joining in. Uh, if you recall back when we had uh, on, online worship services and you were all participating in them, one of the things I would remind you every week is to give us a thumbs up or uh, share, subscribe, all these things to the YouTube channel or the Facebook page. Uh, and so, you know, you can still do that, right? Just because you're here in person doesn't mean you can't go home, uh, find the YouTube page and give us a like or a share. Um, and uh, that just helps, you know, raise the visibility of the, uh, the broadcast and because people will look for, for that maybe throughout the week. Uh, the other thing that we're going to be doing uh, to sort of help the church become more visible um, is, is a lot of people now when they look for a new church, uh, maybe move to a neighborhood or they just have something going on in their lives, is they, where do you think they look first? They don't drive around the neighborhood. They look on Google and they go, church near me or something like that, awesome church. Um, and so we want them to help them find Lawson Road when they do that. Uh, you can imagine there's a lot of competition out there with a lot of churches all wanting to be the awesome church in Greece or in Rochester. Uh, so what we are doing is uh, we would love for you to uh, take a moment and leave a review on the Google page. Okay? But we don't want 50 people doing that today and then nobody doing it for the next three years. So uh, Anne is uh, taking charge of this and uh, she will be emailing like a couple of people every week or every couple of weeks and asking you to give you instructions where to go, give you some ideas of things to talk about. We're not looking for like a restaurant review. Um, you know, the uh, grape juice was not chilled this week. You know, that sort of thing. Not, don't want any of that. Uh, but just if there's something that uh, strikes you, something that um, encourages you, something that you appreciate about Lawson Road, that you just leave a note there. And then when people do a search, look for find Lawson Road on, on Google, they go, oh, look, these people like these different things about it. That sounds like a good fit for me. So uh, if you get an email from Anne, please don't ignore it. Um, take a, a few moments. It won't be long, five, ten minutes maybe. And uh, you, that, that really helps us um, connect with people that are actually looking for churches. That's why it's so great, because uh, they're folks that are out there searching for a church, literally, right? And, uh, and so we want to help them. Uh, to, to find us. All right, we are in Hebrews chapter 11 and uh, verse 1 as we get started today in our lesson. We're in the middle of a series on faith and uh, this is kind of our working definition. It's a classic definition of, of faith uh, that's found here in Hebrews 11. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Different translations, of course, use slightly different words uh, in, in this um, verse. 
But we get that idea. Faith is confidence in what we hope for. And, and, and so today what we're going to be looking at uh, specifically is the relationship of faith to hope. The relationship of faith to hope. I suspect that most of us would struggle to differentiate between faith, hope, optimism, and wishful thinking. Right? All of those have to do with wanting good outcomes in the future. Okay? And, and so, are they all the same, or are we able to distinguish between them? And so, that's what we'll be, hopefully by the end of today, we'll have an, uh, help you make that distinction. Hope is actually a difficult word to talk about because it has multiple meanings, uh, multiple definitions. There's a sense in which hope just means wishing, right? Um, what do you hope that you'll get for Christmas? Right? A pony. Right? Well, good luck with that. Yeah? So it, it's, a, it's a hope. It's a, it's a wish, it's a dream, it's an ambition, it's a desire. But there's nothing that you can do to make it actually come to pass. Uh, that, that perhaps as a young person we might say, I hope that one day I'm rich and famous. But if all we do is repeat that statement every day, after day, after day, will never actually fulfill that hope, right, of being rich and famous. We're just wishing and dreaming, hoping that one day a fairy godmother will appear and suddenly our lives will be transformed at the waving of a wand. Okay? And that's not going to happen. And so hope in that sense is something that is really... Um, a bit of a waste of time. Yeah. It, it, it's something that is not realistic in any way. And so we might think of it as dreaming and the confidence that it would actually uh, take place, that it would actually come to pass, is right around 0%. <clears throat> but then there's another kind of hope. It's the hope that motivates us. It's the, the hope that inspires us. It's the reason the Chicago Cubs kept playing baseball for a hundred years, even though they never won a championship. Every year they would turn up in the spring and they would practice and they would hope that this year their time in the gym, their hours on the field in the Florida sun getting ready, the new players they've recruited, everything that they've done throughout the past year, the money they've spent, the new equipment that they've bought, that all of that is going to make this the year that they win the championship. And for a hundred years, it didn't happen. But you see, they had the hope because they were doing the things that they believed were necessary to be done to reach the goal. They were motivated by the hope, knowing that it was possible for them to win. Right? That, that uh, some team was going to win every year. And it might be them this year if they just did everything. 
that they possibly could. And so that hope motivated them to action. It inspired them to push themselves, as it does every athletic team in every competition. In, in, our, in, in our lives, it might be a job that we keep working at for years with a hope that the, the raise or the promotion or the new opportunity is just around the corner, right? And that hope motivates us. Your employer knows that, right? <laughs> if we can just meet this sales figure, we'll be able to do this for you. If we can just do that, if the economy does this, when this happens, we'll do this for you. And, and, and it keeps you moving. It's a hope. If you work hard, that, that if you put in, if you contribute, if you do your bit, then something will happen. Maybe relationships. Maybe you, you, you're in a relationship, a friendship, where there's somebody that's given you a hard time, but you think things could be so good with this person. If only they'll do this or that or change this or change that. And they tell you that they will. And, and you hope. And, and it motivates and it inspires you to keep moving, to keep trying. And, and so this kind of hope is, is not stupidity, although sometimes it may feel like it. There are reasons to be hopeful. It's a mixture of wishing, a mixture of promise and effort. And sometimes it comes to pass, right? I mean, sometimes we get that raise in the workplace. Sometimes that relationship does improve. The person does make changes. Our expectations are met. Okay? And it wasn't a waste of time. But other times, our hopes are dashed. The business or the investment never turns the corner like the way we thought it would or hoped it would. Uh, our friend never makes the changes that they need to make in order for us to be able to trust them or to be close to them. And that relationship just disappears over time. And so it's probably about 50-50 as to whether that kind of hope is going to be fulfilled or not. And so we have this wishful thinking. We have this expectant hope that is motivating for us. But if we're reading Hebrews 11 verse 1, where it says, faith is confidence in what we hope for. And so I want you to, to look at that expectant hope. How confident can you be in something that's 50-50? Right? You, you see, if you say, oh, I've got faith and faith and hope, and, and, but it's only 50-50, then you don't. Faith isn't really at work here. What we, what we have in that situation is optimism. <laughs> right? It's the person you know, who looks at a situation and says... I'm going to focus on what's good. There's a 50% chance that you know, my investments are going to go through the roof next week. Right? And I'm really focused on that, and I'm believing it, and it's going to happen, and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm going to put more into it. And You can do all of that, and you can be as optimistic as you want. But it doesn't change or make it more likely that that's what's actually going to happen. Because you could be... 50% right, 50% wrong. Uh, it, perhaps you've heard the story of the boy who uh, woke up for Christmas 
and um, was uh, given, he, he, he couldn't understand what was happening. Because in his bedroom were just bags of manure. And he'd go, what is this? And, and he was just so disappointed. He was like, man, this is, I'm going to get nothing for Christmas. This is the worst Christmas ever. Meantime, his brother was sleeping in the same room. He woke up, looks at it and goes, yay, we got a pony for Christmas. And, and, and he was the optimist in that, in that story, right? And the other one is the, the pessimist, and we have no idea which is true. Uh, it could be nothing, or it could be the best Christmas ever. And, and so what we think about a situation doesn't actually change the situation. And, and so when we talk about faith and hope, We're not just talking about some sort of bubbly optimism. Oh, I'm an optimistic person. I always have a positive outlook on life. Because that doesn't impact the the outcome or the reality. I want to look for a moment at Luke chapter 5. We read this earlier. And, And in this story, we see that um, the, the disciples have been fishing all night, haven't caught anything. They're on the beach. And Simon, uh, Jesus walks up to them. And he says to the Simon in verse 4, he says, Put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Okay. So Simon says, Master, we've worked hard all night, haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. Now, I want to ask you, when he starts out, which type of hope do you think he has? I I think the tone in Simon Peter's voice here is that first one. Master, you're dreaming. Right? There's not a single fish in this lake anymore. I don't know where they all went, but they left the lake. We've been out there all night. Okay? And then they start getting bites. The first gnat they pull in is heavy. And all of a sudden they're motivated. Right? All of a sudden they're like, oh, hang on. Something's happening here. Let's keep going. And maybe we'll, we'll get the catch that we're looking for. And then, sure enough, they have to fill the other boats. Now, what got them started on all of that was their faith in Jesus, their, their connection, their relationship uh, to, to Jesus, or else they never would have gone out. If it was just wishful thinking, they never would have gone out in the boats in the first place. But how do you think that influenced them from that point on? There are a couple of other stories. You know, we've been spending our time in Matthew chapter 14 with Peter and Jesus walking on the water, but don't you think this experience on the lake was a precursor to um, Peter's faith of walking on the lake? Notice what happens at the end of this particular story because we see this great expression of faith and hope. Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. 
people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. You see, they've moved. They've moved past the wishful thinking. They've moved past even the expectant hope which motivated them to, to fish. And now they've come to what we're going to call Christian hope. I wasn't sure what to put there in the description. Maybe assurance or something along those lines. Because there's a confidence there. The, Peter and the other disciples had reached this place of 100% commitment in, in Jesus, that they were willing to leave their boats and just follow Jesus. Okay, they were all in. That what, whatever he, he was selling, so to speak, they were buying. They, they had hope that he was who he said he was. But that hope is, is not anything like wishful thinking or dreaming. It's based on experience. It's based on faith. And it becomes an expression of confidence. That, that when we say we have a hope, it means we have a confidence in a great outcome for the future. Uh, one of the, I found this definition uh, that's down the bottom there in yellow uh, from one of the authors that I read this week. Because what, what matters most when we talk about Christian hope is not just what's going to happen in the future or why we think that, but who our hope is in. Christian hope is grounded in God. And so this definition says that the Christian hope is confidence in God whose goodness and mercy are to be relied on and whose promises cannot fail. And, and I think in many ways we go, well, that doesn't sound like hope. A guarantee, we wouldn't say a guarantee is a hope, would we? In just the way we use English. But when we read scripture, that's what we're talking about. That we believe that the promises are guaranteed because God makes them. That's our Christian hope. They cannot fail. Uh, so, but, but it's because of who our hope is. Is in. Take, for example, the well-known verse from Romans 8.28, all things work together for good to those who love God, who have been called according to his purpose. And, and so I think what happens a lot of time is that we take this phrase and we go, oh, it's going to be all right. All things work together for good, right? I, I don't know what your relationship with God is like, but don't worry about it. You know, just everything's going to be fine. Right? All things work together. I know you just lost a leg, you were in a car accident, your house burned down, but all things work together for good. Yeah? I, I know you have no connection with God. I, I know there's not going on, but the Bible tells us all things work together for good. And, and sometimes we just quote this and, and we just throw it out there as though nothing could possibly go wrong. And what that really is is this wishful thinking. That, that it doesn't matter what disaster you're going through, how terribly difficult life is, what, what crisis you're really in, somebody just says, oh, well, all things work together for good. And, and then sometimes that can be motivating. Sometimes it can be expectant hope. If we're a Christian, we can say, yeah, I, I, or we have some faith, we can say, yeah, I'm going to keep working, I'm going to get through this, I'm going to put in all my effort and energy and, and work as hard as I can because... Things work together for good. But I want to say that Christian hope is actually just a confidence 
because we love God, because we have this pre-existing relationship with God, because we are, uh, we're being called, we're living according to His purpose, right? If we're not living according to His purpose, and something happens, right? If you want to rob a bank, and in the process of that you get shot in the leg, right? Then that may not work together for good. Because you've gone outside God's purpose. But when we're working in God's purpose, when we're loving God, then God says, yeah, I'm going to work with you. And, and I don't, it doesn't mean there won't be hardships. It doesn't mean there won't be difficulties. But big picture, I'm still at work. I'm using you. I'm working with you. And good will be accomplished. And so our hope must be in God. So faith describes our relationship with God. And then hope builds upon that by applying the faith towards the future. When the Apostle Peter walked on the water towards Jesus, back in Matthew 14, everything is going, I want to say swimmingly, but it wasn't, right? Everything was going so well. And he's heading towards Jesus, and he, you know, he can see him. Do you ever wonder if they're having a conversation out there on the water? Do you picture it happening in silence? Or, or is Jesus saying, that's it, keep coming. Look at me, you're getting closer. Or just, hey, what do you think of the weather out here, Peter? Like, or, or you know, what's, what's that dynamic like as it's taking place? But... Peter is engaged with Jesus. And and then I mentioned last week, we don't know how far he traveled, right? Did did he travel 100 yards, but he still had 400 to go? Did he travel 10 feet, and he still had 900 to go? You know, what we we don't really know. But somewhere in that journey, after he's taken some steps, all of a sudden, he notices what's going on around him. But it's not that he noticed it, because he already knew about it. They were already in the boat, scared and rowing and and, and not making any progress. They knew about the storm. So it wasn't that he noticed it. What it was, was that he allowed himself to be distracted by it. He, He began to focus on what was going on around him. He always knew that it was there. But he began to focus on it. But see, Peter was acting in faith because Peter had seen Jesus walking on the water and he had faith that that Jesus had the power to, to allow him to walk also on that water. He dared to hope that Jesus would invite him out there. Perhaps it started off as wishful thinking. But when Jesus said, come, all of a sudden it became this Christian hope, this confidence, this assurance that Jesus wasn't calling him onto the water in order for him to sink. He was calling him onto the water in order for him to succeed. Peter wasn't gambling 50-50. He wasn't wondering what was going to happen. 
because he had that faith in Jesus, then he stepped out of the boat with promise, absolute confidence in in Jesus' promise. So what does it mean for us to focus on Jesus? What does it mean for us to focus on Jesus? To place our faith and our hope in him. I, I think there are probably lots of ways that we could answer that question. Today, though, I want to reference Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8. Philippians 4 and verse 8 says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, Whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. It's super easy in our culture for us to give ourselves a pass on being influenced by our culture. We tell ourselves, oh, I can listen to music, I can watch movies, I can watch television shows, read books, I can play video games, I can participate in all sorts of different things, and I won't be influenced by any of that. I'm familiar with it, I understand it, I recognize it for what it is, and and we can have great explanations for why we won't be influenced by it. And, And it's interesting how quickly uh, people will downplay the connections, for instance, between violent video games, violent movies, song lyrics, between that kind of exposure to violence and actual violence in our communities, in our society. And, And it doesn't take you throw out the idea that I think there might be a connection and boom, there'll be all sorts of people that want to just tell you, no, that's not how it works. It's interesting how quickly people want to dismiss a connection between pornography and promiscuity and the problems of sexual addiction and marriage breakdown. As though, no, there's no connection between those things. And on the other hand, as a girl dad, I'm increasingly made aware of how important it is uh, that the media portray body image and how it portrays body image, right? And and there's movements to say we need to make sure that advertising has real life-sized models in their advertising, Uh, that that there be some reality, that that photoshopping and airbrushing and all that kind of thing is just deceptive and setting a bar that is too high, that is unrealistic for the people that are absorbing that. And and so they're saying this is a problem And, and the fashion industry and the... The advertising industry needs to make these changes because they're uh, setting out a cookie-cutter standard of beauty that is unattainable for many people, many, many women, many girls. And so, on the one hand, they're saying, no, there's no connection between the media that people uh, absorb and their actions. And on the other hand, we're saying there's this important connection between the standards and the way that people are portrayed and their image of themselves. 
and, and the way they think about themselves and the way they move through the world and their self-confidence in, in, in living life. And so if you find those two positions confusing, then don't worry, you're not the only one. And I think that's where Philippians 4 and verse 8 comes in. God tells us what to focus on. You see, these are the thoughts that keep us God-focused, that keep us hope-focused. In a world where there are so many distractions, so many conflicts, so much violence, what routines or rituals do you have built into your week to keep you Jesus-focused in a world of worry and in a world of storms? It's so easy to get caught up by the latest topic that is in the media to make that the most important thing that is going on in my life at the moment. But what are you doing to be Jesus-focused rather than storm-focused? I want to give you a suggestion for this week. I've got uh, five verses up here on the screen. Uh, You may want to jot them down. I'll put them on our church Facebook page. You can see me about them afterwards if you would like. But what I'm suggesting is I'd like to encourage you to commit to reading one of these verses one day each week. So Hebrews 13.8 would work for Monday. There's five of them, so you can go through Friday. If you miss a day, you've still got Saturday to catch up. And, but don't just read it once. And what I'd encourage you to do is read it three times in the day. Because our goal here is to be focused on Jesus. Right? And I don't know about you, but I know about me. And what happens is if I have a morning devotional, man, I feel really good for the first five minutes of that day. <laughs> that verse was so inspiring, sometimes it'll last ten minutes. Right? But by the time I get out of the shower, I may or may not remember it. And I may or may not remember the application of it. And there's nothing really wrong with that. The discipline of spending that time with God every day is an important discipline. But if you're looking for something to to keep you Jesus-focused, then I want to just suggest this for this week. And and I've chosen these verses at random. You You might have your own list of verses. You might have your own daily devotional that you're doing that has a verse in it um, every, every day. But I want to encourage you to do it three times a day. And, and, and read it, pause, and then think about it. Okay? Read it, pause, and think about it. I'm not giving you a whole chapter. I'm giving you a verse. It may take three minutes. It may take five minutes. So we're looking over the course of a day, 10 to 15 minutes. But by coming back to it, those three times, it helps make Jesus a focus for us. Not just something that we do and get out of the way. And and so this is my encouragement for us this week. If you're already doing something else that works for you, that's fine. There's no, no reason for you to change. But here's the thing. If we're not 
intentionally building into our lives a focus upon Jesus, then we're going to find ourselves focusing on something else. We're going to find ourselves focusing on the storm and the waves. And then we'll look around and we'll say, why am I sinking? Why do I feel so distant from Jesus? Why do I feel so overwhelmed by the storm and the waves? And perhaps the answer is because you've spent so much time looking at them. Because when we focus on the problems, it's easy to lose our hope in God. Once we lose our hope, it's hard to maintain our faith. I started today, let me just see if these other slides made it in. Yep. Uh, I started today by reading Hebrews 11 and verse 1. And I want to finish by reading Hebrews 12 and verse 1. And in between these two verses is this chapter that describes all these people, Bible characters, many of them well-known, uh, that have lived by faith. But living by faith also meant living by hope. That, that Abraham left his home by faith, but he had a hope of God was going to take him somewhere. And so we see these two relating to each other. And, and we go all the way through that chapter. And then we get to Hebrews 12. And it says, therefore, since we have this great big long list of people, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. The pioneer and perfecter of our faith. I think the King James there says, the author and the finisher of our faith. faith. The first and the last of our faith. The death and resurrection and the return that our hope is based upon. How do you fix your eyes on Jesus? Because if you don't have an answer, if you don't have a plan, if you don't have uh, an idea, a strategy, then maybe your eyes aren't fixed where they need to be.